Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Sadly for Chicagoans, violence is a part of our daily lives, though maybe not directly. If we're fortunate enough to not be the actual victims of violent crimes, we're hearing about violence every day. Well, this past month, a new effort to prevent gun violence in the neighborhoods was inaugurated. This weekend, we take a look. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. About three weeks ago, the University of Chicago launched the Community Violence Intervention Leadership Academy. Essentially, it's management training for reducing gun violence, but from the grassroots perspective. Uh, We're going to hear from two experts on how that will or should work. Uh, Dr. Chico Tillman is director of the Leadership Academy, and he has a resume that might surprise you, but undoubtedly makes him perfect for the job. He's been a leading advocate for community violence intervention for uh, efforts for years. He was an executive director of the Ready Chicago program from the Heartland Alliance. And one of the earliest directors of uh, that program, uh, Eddie Bocanegra, uh, was a guest on this program more than once. That effort fights violence with jobs and counseling, among other things. Uh, And uh, Dr. Tillman has been executive director of the Cure Violence program as well. But he spent several of his formative years in the street gang lifestyle and 17 years in prison. So he obviously knows this subject. So does Marcus McAllister. He is part of the steering committee for the Leadership Academy that helped craft it. Uh, He is senior advisor for student engagement. He runs his own consulting firm, but he's been on the street stopping violence as part of the Cure Violence program and as a violence interrupter. I thank both of you gentlemen for uh, for joining me this weekend. Um, Chico Tillman, take us through what the Learning Academy is and, and what you uh, you want to accomplish with it. Well, the Learning Academy does a couple of things. First of all, it is a certificate program similar to executive certificate programs at other Ivy League schools such as Stanford, Harvard, Yale, where we take leadership and we um, – build upon the foundation that they already have. In the violence prevention field, what we are rich with is individuals with access to this hard to reach population where we can be strengthened is with our business acumen because we're strong on leadership. I mean, we're strong on lived experience 
but many of the people have never had access to higher learning. So what we wanted to do was equip them with management science and improve their pedigree and leadership to help advance the field because many of them work in mid-sized to small organization where leadership is everything preeminent and leadership dictates the way services are provided. Mm. Um, Marcus McAllister, uh, you know, when we hear about uh, violence prevention efforts and especially uh, the the intervention part of it, the interrupters, um, it is a very street savvy, you know, program. But how do you train people for something like that? How do you especially when there are so many moving parts, really, uh, and coming from different directions? Well, with regards to, let's look, go back to like the academy. These are the leaders of various groups. That's one of the things that comes out of this. We we have leaders from all over the country that are doing CVI work. And CVI work has expanded um, a tremendous evolution from when we first started to where it's at now. And so it's 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 a variety of ways. I mean, there, there's training for the right staff that you hire at each of these particular um, sites. But the people we bring in, some of them have that. Some of them may not have other pieces of what's going on. So we, the, the academy itself is training, is teaching, is it's showing them the big picture of violence prevention. As Dr. Tillman always mentioned, is about an ecosystem now. You know, it's it's not just only the interrupters. It's all the pieces, the wraparound services, the relationships they may have with other groups. And so, I mean, you train them based off you have subject matter experts, individuals like myself and Dr. Tillman have been training for years. And we've trained you know, programs on from, as he likes to say, I steal a lot of his stuff from ideation to implementation, you know, so we, we start from the beginning and we train based off of, uh, as he mentioned, a science. This is something we mentioned we've done with um, other organizations, but it has evolved tremendously over the past 20 years, um, Mr. Delamore. It, it's not the same and we've seen it. So I just want to say that we train according to how this thing has evolved and not stagnate ourselves just looking at it now from one perspective. Violence intervention and prevention has blossomed into something uh, much bigger than it was when I was on the ground just doing it. And so, so for us to have this academy that is training and teaching on all elements of it, it's just going to equip those leaders in those respective cities to be more successful. And and please call me Craig. Uh, you guys are the experts. <laughs> I'm just asking the questions. But who, you, you, you touched on this uh, uh, who are the people who are being trained? Uh, uh, you know, and and how do you find them, or are they finding you? I want to say a couple of things. Um, first of all, there was a lot of um, interest and pressure upon people like me and Marcus with the influx of dollars from the ARPA American Rescue Plan Act, and so it's people like. Tulsa, Oklahoma, that never had a violence prevention program. And they they have the responsibility of building it out. And they might have somebody in the Office of Violence Prevention in the mayor's office, but they don't really know where to start. But then you have more um, advanced organizations like in a New York or um, New Jersey or Philadelphia or Chicago that may not understand the entire ecosystem, meaning like, victim services, the jobs part. So what we do is we take the leaders 
from these different organizations from different parts of the city. And we educate them not only in coalition building, capacity building, um, partnership, how to work with how to work with um grants, how to how to do um operations. All we get them the entire scope of how to run a business. But another thing we were thinking about too, because of their high exposure to trauma, we wanted to get them transferable skills. So if they ever reach the level of burnout, they can transition into another sector. What what was the biggest problem is if you do just say you only did violence prevention all of your life and you got to a level of burnout, how does those skills translate into another sector? So some many people felt trapped in this arena and we wanted to not only build out this institution or this program to give them an opportunity to go into different spaces, but ultimately improve the services so less people that are black and brown or die across America by improved services. Is it also something that you 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 think about or look at is um, helping people not burn out and to be able to because I mean so I've I've talked to a number of people who who've done this uh, and you know you see you can see death every day you can lose people who were working at your side yesterday and i i would think that there there must be some coping skills that are also needed and do, how does that fold in and either one and from this point on it's there these are jump balls whoever wants to take it and frankly if one of you wants to add on to something the other says by all means just go ahead and do it but uh, but marcus McAllister, can you talk a little bit about that yeah. How do you keep from letting it, you know, crush you? Yeah. So I mean, one of the things that I love most about this field, and there's no secret to those in the nation that I've worked with, is that I'm very biased and very fell in love with what it does for the staff. Let's just start there. CBI interventionists are trying to stop violence. And so I've always been a proponent of look what it does for the staff themselves, because some of them, this is really changing their life. I know it every day when I go to these different cities that, that it changes their life. Now, yes, they deal with a lot of trauma and, and as Doc mentioned, things firsthand. I think you have to, and I've been a real component of this, and we have to constantly look for ways for upward mobility for these different staff. And with these being leaders here, I always like to say they're doing a great work, but they're not robots. And so you have to, you know, I remember early on doing some uh, helping build a CBI years ago in New Orleans. And 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 I know it, it might be that Southern hospitality thing, but I was so impressed with the management because although they were putting these CBI in place to do the work, they were already thinking about how do they build them up? Because this is, it, it's one of the things that it's, we call it, Dr. Tim and I, sometimes it's like, our NBA, now hear me out on this, like people get paid to play the NBA. They say, man, I always play basketball. So now we were dealing with interventions from these neighborhoods changing their community. And that's how they look at it. Like this is something that they have money. I have always say that they would have done for free or they have done for free. And we, and we change Doc gets on them all the time about that because stop saying you'll do this for free. Great. But you deserve to be paid to do it. And, and, you know, and we deal with it through a variety of ways. We go over grief. We go over um, a lot of the trauma. We train on that. These leaders have, they get trained on that. Some of us even came into the training, as he said. We started the Peace Academy, I mean, um, the Leadership Academy off with a session on healing and 
therapeutic services and stuff for the leaders because you get burnt out in so many areas, but you got to be always thinking about upward mobility. I want to just add one thing to all the things. I, I totally agree with everything Marcus said. To be intentional, what we did as well was when we, um, nine of us came from across the country, leaders or experts in the field that's multidisciplinary in nature, we worked with two professors, one Catherine Bocanegra and um, Julian Thompson from the University of Illinois at Chicago, who have a background in social work to create a trauma-informed lens throughout the entire curriculum to ensure that wellness was embedded throughout the entire curriculum. Mm. Um, let me ask though, what makes a good interrupter? And admittedly, there, you know, there may be some people out there doing it who who aren't that good, but you you get to see who's what's working and what's not. And you know, is it a kind of temperament? Is it a kind of is it experience? What what makes someone made for this uh, kind of work? I I think it's it's several factors. The first thing I would say would be credibility, um, suitability, but also influence. And I think you well, I know you have to be from the neighborhood, and you have some people ascribe it to individuals that have been system impacted. And, and some of that is true because you have to be an individual that's comfortable being in situations where there's a lot imminent danger is surrounding you, but yet you can still remain assertive. If you think about it, if an individual is irate because someone is shot at them, it takes a certain type of person to be able to walk up to them, de-escalate the situation, and they are unarmed. All they have is the skill set that they've been taught in order to de-escalate the situation and mediate the situation between them and the perpetrator. So it takes, I'm gonna say this, you said something, and I wanna, I wanna kinda, I get this is one of my pet peeves. I, I tell people all over the country, a lot of people say, well, I'm already doing the work, but I have never been trained. I was doing this. Be and I tell them, in all fair, honestly, you might have been doing some work, but you weren't doing this. It's just like saying I'm a brain surgeon, but never went to went, went to went to medical school. You 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 might be doing something, but so it's it's not it's more than just tactics. We teach them. We teach them science. And if you never if you're doing it ad hoc, you can't be doing it the right way. And that's one of the things we're trying to create, too, is standards across best practices and things so that we can have some uniformity to ensure that it's not based upon the characteristics or charisma of one individual, but there's a practice across the field that we can adhere to. Mm. I, I, can you follow up on that, Marcus? Because, you, I mean, you've been out there as well. Uh, what what do people who do that really need to know about doing that uh, that can make it better? I mean, well, just as he mentioned, and, and you know, there's a lot of training that goes into conflict mediation training, conflict resolution, how to engage in high risk situations. I mean, how to navigate um, through your community responses, your community engagements, 
I mean, it's so many things there. We do the hiring panels. I'm working in St. Louis right now. We're about to start looking at um, the process as we build out a program in St. Louis. I work all over the country, and so does Doc. We work together on a lot of things. Um, so we've seen it. We've we've been a just to keep it all the way, um, Mr. Craig. We've been uh, on the road. Um, CBI Leadership Academy because we keep going to cities and we saw this that people needed help and uh, um, the you know it's plentiful now because the DOJ and stuff have flooded an influx into the space but it was people as you just say they 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 got to know what to do and you know what I'm saying so training and TA and some of the topics I just mentioned to professionalism as he said you got to be suitable so we're not just you know plucking any we want people to do do this rightly because it's a profession. And but you're you're getting people rough around the edges and giving them a chance to change their life. I mean, I came into this rough around the edges, but 21 years later, now here we are um, with the next generation of leaders. You know, um, I'm you know we're old in this space, but we're glad to be of assistance because nothing like experience and seeing it um, from Chicago to New York to Philly, and I can just go on to Los Angeles to out the country. So. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. We, we, we're, we're evolving, um, Craig, and I think that um, this academy is opening up the doors for these um, different respective students and leaders in their areas to be able to expand on um, CBI, because CBI is a big thing now. But before there was CBI, we were just doing the work, okay? So that's why we're so excited to see it now, get a little bit of skin in the game. The country knows about it. You know, we're doing stories about it and stuff, but it's, it's, it's been the work of our life. And so now to see, to professionalize it, there's funding for it, and we're going to build up capacity for training. That's coming next because that's needed. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore at City Hall. This weekend, we're talking about community violence intervention with two experts working with the University of Chicago. Dr. Chico Tillman is director of the CVI Leadership Academy, and Marcus McAllister is on the Academy's uh, steering committee and one of its architects. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what both of you have just mentioned, and you, Marcus, that it is getting funded now. I, I And I think partly because people who have been searching for something that works have found more results in that kind of work than others. Um, but, you know, with, with, with great funding comes great responsibility and great oversight. Uh, and how do you, how do you show people that it can work? How do you, how do you, make it worthy of that money because you know people are going to be coming behind saying we gave all this money to these community people and where's it going right uh, you know how do how do you maintain the accountability a couple things first of all um what appears to be a lot of money is not a lot of money be and, and that's that's where i start the premise when you think about community safety and what i don't want to do is shift all the responsibility on CBOs, which is community-based organizations, and relieve it from all the other um, components of the public safety ecosystem. You can't give an organization $2 million and the police department a billion and other parts of the ecosystem 500 million and put all the responsibility on the one you gave $2 million. So what we can do, though, is evaluate the scope of work 
the things that they said they are going to do, are they doing them? And the one, the reason why we got the money, let's, let me backpedal a little bit is because we show value beyond the imagination of the United States, which is we were critical in stopping COVID. I want, I want that to resonate. The reason why I said that is because when the CDC would give guidelines, the reason COVID kept going is because that isolated, hard-to-reach population that mainstream America didn't have contact with, they needed somebody to access them and to get them to adhere. And then they figured out that we had been working with this population for years. And once they seen that we were not only able to get them to adhere to COVID, but we were critical in shutting down and de-escalating the uprisings because of the George Floyd incident, they saw the value in us. And then they bought into and allowed us to continue down this path and understood how instrumental we could be in violence prevention. Lastly, I want to say something real quick. If a situation occurs where two individuals with violent backgrounds were to get into a dispute, if you call the police, the police just going to tell them to, to disperse because no crime has been committed. You go this way, you go that way. But the problem haven't been resolved. The thing about the work we do is we actually will work with both individuals to rock, to resolve it so it doesn't surface again when the police pull off. And police don't have the resource to de-escalate and investigate situations that haven't re reached the level of crime. What is it? What does it take to get people who have beef with each other um, to back off and say, I don't need to do something to get back at that person. Uh, I mean, you know, what, what calms that down? I'm Cause I mean, I think that obviously that's the secret sauce, but, but you know, how do you do that? Well, as he mentioned, I mean, you have to have the right individuals native to that area with the right credibility. And we see it. I mean, it happens all the time because um, we, when we do this work, you're isolated to a certain area where you're from, where you know everybody. And so it just takes the right person. It takes the right trained individual. And they're able to get in there and, and, and diffuse the situation because they have the relationship. It boils down to having that good relationship um, with individuals. So I, I, that's the clearest I can say it. Like you have trained staff that are from that environment that understand what's going on. Many of them have lived experience, Craig, and they just are able to diffuse situations based off their relationship. Um, and remember, and many of them have understand that life or come from that life or, you know, not too long ago was that person. So um, all it takes is a little diffusing, changing people's trajectory and letting them cool down. We know we teach on things like buying time and, and um, de-escalation tactics. I mean, these are things that we train on for when you're doing mediations and, how, and we even practice in role plays. All of it is things that happen all the time. The difference is, now you find yourself, this is something that you intervene in. You know, we, we intervene to try to stop things from getting out of hand. Uh, I, I wonder, and, and this is this may be a matter of a perspective from the outside, but it seems to me that we are seeing a different kind of violence or, or a different kind of violent people 
than we used to see. I mean, you know, I I'll admit back in the old days, you know, and and I'm, you know, probably older than both of you. Uh, you know, there are things that would have been resolved in fist fights and part of it is that everybody has a gun now but the other thing is is that it seems that people have a less less concern for life that it's okay that if you see somebody in the middle of a crowd that you want to shoot you will just spray the whole crowd and and i don't know how you you know how do you confront that kind am i seeing it as a as a new attitude and how do you confront that when people don't care if they actually you know if if a little girl got shot and the attitude is well i wasn't aiming for her so i i'm not sorry uh how do you deal with that i i think the most important thing we gotta we gotta consider is like there has been um as you say a transition from what we would call organized street gang behavior to more of individual cliques or individual small groups committing violence. And what has happened is there has been a variance in the decrease in age. So now younger people are committing violent acts. However, if you think about it, no matter everybody has somebody that they listen to. I, I don't know another human being and, and, and you know, people say things um, that you know it out of emotions. They won't, can't nobody talk. Yes, yeah, somebody can talk to them. It's, if you're 13, you live with your parents nine times out of ten. If you're 12, you live with your parents. It's just I, I spoke at the police academy yesterday, and I said what we have to do, and me and Marcus is working on, is equipping parents with the tools to be able to have those conversations with their children. So it's always somebody, it's not necessarily some, we got to equip people to have conversations. And as a community, we can't tolerate certain behaviors because we got to set cultural norms where no longer is this tolerated in the community. And as a community, we got to come together and, and move those type of things out the way. And, but it But it takes a lot of things. Um, lastly, I want to say one thing. Our biggest problem right now is also America's biggest asset, and that's being a capitalistic society. Because we have the mindset to compete as opposed to collaborate. So really, even with the organizations, me and Marcus' biggest challenge is saying, hey, now we have resources. It's no longer necessary for us to compete against one another, we have to work together. And even that's the mindset of the youth. They have affiliation with one thing. And because of historical things that even happened before they were born, they, they don't like this block. A great example is if you're from Chicago, you can't like Green Bay. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and in some aspects, I understand, but in some aspects, aspects some people become like fans fanatical about it you want to ask some marcus no you said that great that was that was right well let me not and and you know and people are saying if you like people in the street you can't like the police uh that that's another thing there is a companion academy and we have talked about it on this program for uh for police leaders leaders 
uh, that's also being run by the, uh, the, the crime lab and university of Chicago. Um, first off, are there similarities in the, in the tr training and, and what, what do the police, what do the people in the police academies need to learn about the people you're working with? I could jump in. I, I actually taught at the police academy yesterday, and I told them the biggest issue is that police, in some mystical way, have removed themselves from the community. Because at its foundation, policing is just a job. But when but some people have become so enamored or with the with the shield or with that that they are isolated from community and they are the only occupation that's that's treated that way. We don't say firefighters versus we think of firefighters, electricians, plumbers, doctors. I say even district attorneys are what? A part of the fabric of the community. And I believe things will change between police and community once they become a part of the community. And, and we are able to humanize them. And I think the same goes for the people that we service. When you label individuals thugs, gang members, high risk, immediately once you say those words, an image comes in your mind and you begin to look at them through a different lens. Just like police need to be humanized, individuals who live in vulnerable communities who suffer from high doses of trauma need to be humanized as well. That's going to have to be the final word. We are out of time. This went much faster than I, than I thought it would, and I knew it was going to go fast. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Chico Tillman. I would like to thank him and Marcus McAllister of the Community Violence Intervention Leadership Academy at the University of Chicago for spending this time with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, WBBMnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.